Thanks for joining back in as we continue with the fourth installment of our current series, I Am Who I Am. This week, Trey will be leading us through Jesus' fourth I Am statement, The Good Shepherd. So let's open and prepare our hearts as we get ready to receive truth from God's Word. You guys go ahead and be making your way back to John chapter 10 as we prepare to move into our fourth installment of the series we've been in called I Am Who I Am. And I really hope that as we've been looking at Jesus's I am statements, it's helped you to see in a greater way who he is and what exactly it was that he came to do because really it seems like we live in an age where people claim to be all sorts of things. Uh, just for the sake of trying to gain position or popularity or prestige or whatever it is that you're searching after, it seems like so many people nowadays will claim to be anything and everything if they think that something will gain for them popularity or power, or prestige. And so, sometimes it becomes hard to tell the difference between who someone actually is versus who they claim to be. Which really shows a deeper problem, I think. It shows that our sufficiency is based upon ourselves. And there's a problem with that because we were never designed to be self-sufficient. We were designed to be Savior-sufficient. And so, in other words, our sufficiency is only found in our Savior. So you can walk through the entirety of this life, and you may gain the popularity, and you may gain the power, you may gain the position, and you might gain the prestige, but you'll never find sufficiency in this life apart from your Savior, Jesus Christ. I promise you. You can search high and low, and you might find a temporary kind of sustainment. You might find a temporary kind of fulfillment. But if it's devoid of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's all it's ever going to be is temporary. And so we find ourselves mixed in in a society and a culture that is full of people that are trying to be self-sufficient. And it's not working. It's failing miserably. There's a reason why divorces increase. There's a reason why depression is constantly on the rise. There's a reason why suicide is constantly on an upward trend. It's because people are constantly trying to fulfill their lives with somebody or something other than Jesus Christ. But as we've seen Jesus make these I am statements of himself, he doesn't do so with some underlying purpose. He isn't trying to impress anybody. It's just who he really is. We spend so much time and effort trying to impress people that, can I be honest with you, don't even care. They don't care. We spend so much time and so much effort, we'll drive ourselves into a state of worry and anxiety. We're having a panic attack because we're so concerned about what people think about us when in actuality they don't care. And you know why they don't care? Because they're so worried and they're so focused on themselves because they want to impress you. Nobody really cares. It's so backwards, this world we live in. Constantly trying to impress the people around us, but we're so self-centered and self-sufficient and so self-focused that I don't care if you're trying to impress me. Blake, I'm too worried about me trying to impress you. Tell me that it's not true. Tell me that it's not a trap that we all seem to fall into at times. But see, the, with Jesus, it's not a selfish claim when he says, I am. You see, I found with humanity in our flesh, oftentimes when we start out a statement with the two words, I am, something very prideful is about to follow that. But when Jesus makes a statement, I am, it's not selfish at all. It's a statement of fact about who he really is. And so as we come to the text that God has for us tonight in John chapter 10, we find Jesus' fourth statement. And the subject of our message is, I am 
the good shepherd. So check out John chapter 10, starting at verse 11 with me. And Jesus comes right out of the gates with it tonight. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice, and so there will be one flock, one shepherd. When I was a kid, we used to go to a church over in Muscle Shoals, and every year we'd put on this massive Christmas production. I mean, it was really quite spectacular. And we would spend months in preparation for that Christmas production to take place, and everybody in the church was involved. We had the adult choir, and we had the student choir, and we had the kids' choir, and everybody had some role to play in this big production. I remember as a young kid, I had a part of playing a shepherd one time. And so they dressed me up in my little shepherd robes, and they gave me a little staff to carry around. And I remember as we were getting ready, I asked the woman that was putting all the costumes together and telling us what our roles were. I remember asking her, so, so what does the shepherd do? What is the shepherd part supposed to be? And I remember her saying back to me, don't worry about it, it's not really a significant part. You're just kind of there. You know, shepherds have, for centuries, always been seen as being insignificant, of being inadequate, of being unimportant. And can I have a moment of being vulnerable with you guys tonight. One of my greatest struggles in life has been feeling inadequate. And I don't know if there's any connection to what she said to me that night and my struggle of inadequacy, but if I'm just being honest and being open with you guys, one of my greatest struggles is feeling inadequate. And some of you might struggle mightily with inadequacy. Some of you might struggle mightily with feeling insignificant. Some of you might have walked into this place tonight, and when you walk out, and when you go home, and when you go to class, and when you go to your job, you feel so extremely unimportant to the world around you. And I, I've struggled with this for many, many years. And there's a passage in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 15. And this is not an I am statement, but it is a statement of Christ. And he's talking about how he is our great high priest. And the writer in Hebrews writes this, and he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. And so here I am, I struggle with feelings of inadequacy. And you might struggle with inadequacy, you might struggle with insecurity, you might struggle with feeling unimportant, and I've struggled with those feelings of inadequacy. And, and I know this verse, you know. I mean, I, I've told people about my struggle before, and they read me Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, and I'm like, I know that verse, bro. I got that down. You don't have to quote that to me. I know that we have a high priest that's able to sympathize with our weakness, and I know this is a weakness of mine, but my thinking has always been Jesus can't relate to my inadequacy. He can't do it. There's no way that Jesus can relate to my inadequacy. And you know why I've always thought that? He's the Son of God, for crying out loud. How could he ever feel inadequate? How could he ever even be tempted with feeling inadequate? How could he ever be tempted with feeling insecure? How could he ever even be tempted with feeling unimport unimportant? It's Jesus. 
Well, we just saw him identify himself as a shepherd. And a shepherd's very identity in those times was insignificant, inadequate, unimportant. And then God began to show me something that I've never seen before. And it's funny because we've been all around it here lately. But Jesus did experience what it was like to have somebody try to make him feel this way. And in John chapter 8, and verse 40 and 41, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees, and they're having an argument back and forth. And I'm going to read the NIV version to you here because I like the word that's used there. And just please get, get ready to prepare yourself to receive this in the right way because it's about to be heavy. Jesus is talking with those religious people and having an argument. And Jesus says, as it is, he's speaking to them here. He says, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. And then here's their response back to Jesus. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. They called Jesus illegitimate. You know essentially what they were calling him? Jesus, you're a bastard. Told you it was heavy. Illegitimate. So yes, indeed, we have a great high priest who can sympathize with your weaknesses, even if it's inadequacy, even if it's insecurity, even if it's illegitimacy. Jesus knew what it was like to have somebody look at him in the face and say, you're illegitimate, Jesus. Your mother Mary had you out of wedlock. Yeah, she cooked up some nice story about how it was the Spirit of God that, that placed you within her, but that's a bunch of bull. You're an illegitimate child, Jesus. We all got real fathers. Imagine. Jesus was 100% human, 100% God. He felt the same emotions that we feel when we feel inadequate, insecure, illegitimate, unimportant. Yes, indeed, he can relate to whatever situation you find yourself in tonight, even if it is one of those things. But here's the deal. He didn't care. He didn't let it slow him down. <laughs> and all honesty, I think Jesus probably chuckled on the inside, thinking, oh man, you guys are in for such a rude awakening one day. But he didn't let it slow him down. Why? Because he had a mission. And he wanted people to see, as well as us tonight, what he does for us as the good shepherd. And the first thing we see is that the good shepherd sacrifices for the sheep. I like how we're getting started tonight. That was just the introduction. And I hope you guys are ready for the rest of the word that God has for us tonight. The good shepherd sacrifices for the sheep. Go back and look at verse 11 with me. Jesus says very clearly, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus laid down his life for the sheep, which means a couple of things. Number one means that he temporarily gave up his place in heaven to come down here. That in and of itself was a phenomenal sacrifice. The fact that Jesus was willing to give up his place in heaven to come down here to this nasty, filthy earth full of a bunch of wretched, stinky sinners and rub shoulders with us and love us and lead us and show us compassion and grace and love and mercy is sacrifice in and of itself. Let me tell you guys, if I was in heaven, there is no way I would be willing to come back down to this place. No chance. I don't possess enough love or grace or mercy within me to look down on this earth and see the nastiness that it's in and see all these sinners that are running around forsaking God, rebelling, living their own lives. There is no way that I would willingly sacrifice my place at the right hand of the Father to say, oh, yeah, sure, I'd love to go down there. No. So it's a good thing I'm not Jesus. And that's why I'm not. I can't love you on a level in which he does. 
And he was willing to sacrifice and give up those things to come down here. Which led to the second thing that we see about the sacrifice that he made, which was the ultimate sacrifice, giving himself to death for you. Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Paul's introducing a letter to the Galatians. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, comma, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for, for coming down here. Thank you for sacrificing your life. Thank you for giving yourselves over so that we can have forgiveness of our sins, so that we can be delivered from this evil present age. Thank you, God, for your sacrifice. He made it for you. It's a personal thing. Don't ever think that Jesus' sacrifice was for somebody else other than you. It's personal. He did it for you. And there is no greater sacrifice. There is no greater act of love that Jesus could have shown for us. He sacrificed everything. Why? Just so you might know him. That's how bad he desires a relationship with each and every one of us in this place tonight. And here's the thing. He gave up his life willingly. I'm happy to do it. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. If you look down in verse 18 of chapter 10 where we're at in John, you would see this. Jesus makes a statement. No one takes it from me. Talking about his life. No one takes it from me. They can't force me to do anything. No one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus was willing to give his life for you so that you could have forgiveness of sins, so that you could have a relationship with him. And here's what's crazy about it. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, listen to this statement that the writer makes. He talks about fixing your eyes on Jesus. And he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus saw it as a joyful occasion to give his life for the salvation of the lost souls of this world. It was joyous for him. That's that's mind-blowing to me, that Jesus would look at an instrument of torture and see it as an object of joy. God. You know why it was so joyous to him? Because there was a reward that came with it. And it wasn't that he was going to be exalted back into heaven. That wasn't the reward that Jesus was worried about. You know what the reward he was so focused on was? You. You. How many people have ever told you in your life that you were their greatest reward? (laughs) Jesus does. This is how he sees you. He sees you, each and every one of you, as his reward. Let me ask you a question. How do you see him? So the good shepherd sacrifices for the sheep. Let me see the second thing. The good shepherd purchases the sheep. Go look at verse 12. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep. So Jesus contrasts himself to a hired hand who doesn't actually own the sheep. He's just paid to babysit the sheep, to to watch over the sheep for a period of time until the shepherd comes back. Here's what I want you to see. Satan always wants to produce what is counterfeit of Christ. Always a counterfeit. And it looks very close to the real thing, but it's not. So if Jesus came to be the true shepherd of the world, Satan wants to produce counterfeit shepherds, and they're everywhere. So if Jesus wants to give you real joy, Satan wants to produce a counterfeit joy. If Jesus wants to bring you true peace that surpasses all understanding, Satan wants to throw out there a counterfeit peace. Do you get where I'm going? Everything that Christ does, Satan counterfeits. 
So if Christ wants to give you true fulfillment, Satan will throw a counterfeit fulfillment out there. If Christ wants to bring you real satisfaction, Satan will produce a counterfeit satisfaction to throw out there, hoping that you will take the bait. And so what I want you to do is examine yourself tonight and make sure that what you have bought into isn't actually a fake. Make sure it's real. And Jesus is different because as the good shepherd, he owns the sheep, so he's different than the hired hand in that way. He actually owns the sheep. He, he's, it's like this. Jesus is invested in you. He's committed. He is invested in you. He's purchased you, actually purchased you with his blood. So that sacrifice that we were talking about earlier, Jesus hung on the cross and he shed his precious blood. That was him paying to own you. He purchases us. With his blood. Those of us that belong to Jesus have been purchased by his blood. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the end of verse 19 and verse 20 says it like this. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Those of us that belong to Christ, we are not our own. He bought us with the price, that price being his precious blood. So he has purchased the sheep. That means you belong to him. You're his. You're a son. You're a daughter of the king. Nowadays, shepherds will typically tag the ears of their sheep. That way they're recognizable, not to the shepherd. He knows his sheep. But so they're recognizable to other people in the fact that that sheep belongs to somebody. Man, when you give your life to Jesus, he marks your life for him. You belong to him. How does he do so? The Holy Spirit. That is your mark of Jesus Christ. So those of us that are in Christ, you belong to him. He has purchased you with his blood. You belong to him. He has marked your life. I like that. Nobody else in here tonight might like it, but I like knowing that I am marked by Jesus. I carry around his mark within me. So he purchases the sheep. And we see the third thing that the good shepherd does is that he protects the sheep. So look at the second half of verse 12. We got this hired hand on the job here. He doesn't own the sheep. And so when he sees the wolf coming, he leaves. And the sheep flee. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares Nothing for the sheep. Jesus protects his sheep. And this makes perfect sense, you know. It really does. Just using good logic. Because here's the way that I look at it. You will protect that which you purchase. Are y'all awake? You will protect what you purchase. Case in point. If I buy a fishing rod... I will protect that thing like it is the most prized possession in my entire life. Is it? No. But I bought it. I spent the money on it, so I'm going to protect it. They even I know some of y'all fish, some of you don't. They even make rod sleeves, like these protective things that you can slide down over so none of the eyes get messed up. And I got those because I want to protect it. Because here's the deal. You protect that which you purchase. If you consider something to be worth its value and purchase it, you will do whatever it takes to take care of that thing. It is no different with Jesus in your life. Jesus sees you as holding great value. <laughs> Here we go again. He sees you as holding great value. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I look at my life, I don't see very much value there. I see somebody that's rotten. I see somebody that's filthy. I see somebody that screws up all the time every day. Utterly falling short of the glory of God time and time again. Constantly rebelling in my flesh. I relate with Paul when I do the things that I don't want to do. 
but I don't do what I know I'm supposed to do. Wretched man that I am. And Jesus looks at me, and he sees great value. And he looks at you, and he sees great value. That's why he purchased you with his blood. This is meant to be encouraging. He owed great value to him. You were worth the purchase. There's not a single soul in this room that Jesus saves and then thinks, boy, I wish I could get my money back. When's the warranty run out on this thing? I mean, this is like a straight-up dud. Like, can I, can I get a trade-in? I mean, what's the deal? Like, he never does it. You were worth the purchase. And you hold great value to him. Did you know that we are the only part of his creation that he refers to as a masterpiece? Ephesians 2, check it out. The only part of his creation that Jesus refers to as a masterpiece is us. You hold great value to him. And so you can be assured that he will take care of you. He will fight for you. He'll fight for you. Sheep are really defenseless for the most part, you know. They don't have any, like, claws to fight back with. They don't have any sharp teeth. They don't have any armor around their body to protect themselves from attacks. So they can't run very fast, so if something wants to chase them down, it's very easily done. A wolf can very easily run down a sheep. And they're kind of defenseless, you know, and they're, they're always vulnerable to attack. But see, that's why it's so important to stay close to the shepherd. Psalm 91, verse 14 and 15. It says, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. That is a guaranteed promise of the protection of your shepherd. But here's the deal. Not only does Jesus protect you, he also empowers you too. And I really like that about our Savior. Yeah, we're sheep, and yeah, we're defenseless, and we're vulnerable for the most part. But Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. He actually gives us a way to fight back. You actually carry around with you more strength than what you even realize. And see, I know there are times, right, you can relate to this, I'm sure, when it just feels like Satan is riding your back. You ever been there? Anybody relate? Well, I mean, it feels like you just giving Satan a piggyback ride everywhere that you go. And you can't get him off, and you try, and you buck, and you kick, and you scream, and you holler, and it's just like he's got a grip on you, and he won't let go. And you become ineffective, and you become inefficient, and you feel absolutely helpless, and you feel absolutely powerless. But can I tell you that you have the authority in Jesus' name to kick him off of your back right now? In Jesus' name. You don't have any strength of your own. You're a sheep. But when the shepherd empowers you, when he has given us his Holy Spirit, we have a power and authority that when we say, Satan, be gone, he hits the door. Not because of us, but because of who is in us. But because of who is standing by us. But because of who has fought for us. I want to give you guys a picture of this. Can I do that? I found this video today. And so I got a, a short clip for you. I think this really, really adequately portrays what this looks like when Satan gets on your back. So check it out and how Jesus empowers us to fight back. It's really dumb, but it gets the point across. Uh, yep. Uh-huh. 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 Yep. Boom! <laughs> I know it's corny, but you know, that's what I think of. I think of Satan getting on my back and he thinks it's funny, you know, and he's just right, he's, he's picking your legs up and he's trying to puppet you around like he's got some control over your life. 
But can I just tell you that by the power that Christ has given you, you can shake loose from that? And if Satan's giving you a hard time, I just want to encourage you guys to take a lesson from that actual sheep. Once you shake him off your back, go ahead and back up a couple of steps. Get some momentum in between you and him, and then headbutt that sucker right in the gut in the name of Jesus Christ. I love it, man. He laid them ears back and everything. He's like, bro, somebody done messed up today. Jesus protects, but he also empowers. But then there's another thing that the good shepherd does. He knows the sheep. Look at verse 14. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. When Jesus says, I know my own, it means so much more than just an intellectual awareness. It speaks to an intimate relationship. Jesus isn't just aware of you. He knows you. I, I love this message. Like, we might have it again next week, just for those of you that don't get it this week. He knows you. He's not just aware of you. You're not some acquaintance to Jesus Christ as one of his sheep. He knows you. Listen, shepherds in the ancient East, they would name their sheep. Literally, they would name every single one of them. And they were so acquainted with their sheep that they would even know the characteristics of each individual sheep. So they would know if they had a sheep that was fearful. They would know if they had a sheep that was more bold. They would know if they had a, a sheep that was energetic, and they would know which ones were lazy. So they knew the characteristics of their sheep. So they, not only would they name them, they knew the characteristics of them. They knew their personalities. And they would also know the needs of their sheep when they were hungry, when they were thirsty, when they needed to change pastures. And they could even distinguish the cry of each lamb in the flock individually. And I'm not talking about maybe 15 to 20 sheep. Most of these flocks contained hundreds, if not thousands, of sheep. Job was known to have 14,000 sheep in his flock. And these shepherds were so intimately in tune with their flock that they could distinguish the cry of each and every individual lamb as it cried out, even in the dark. Can I show you the similarities? Jesus knows your name. Verse 3 in the same chapter, it says that he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He knows your name. But not just that, Jesus knows your character. In Psalm 139, verses 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Then when you jump down to verse 13 in Psalm 139, you see this beautiful passage. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Jesus knows you like nobody else knows you. He knows your character. He knows your, your idioms. He knows that you're a little bit weird sometimes when you shut the door of your room and you're by yourself. He knows that your personality is different than the person sitting next to you. He knows that you're an introvert. He knows that you're an extrovert. He knows that you're going to be a missionary. He knows that you're going to be a pastor. He knows that you're going to be a plumber. He knows that you're going to be a nurse or a doctor or a teacher. It doesn't matter. Jesus knows you more than anybody else. He knows your name. He knows your character. And guess what else? He knows your needs as well. Every single one of them before you ever even mention it to him. 
So before it ever even enters into your mind, before it ever even comes off your tongue, God, I need your help, he says, I already know. Before you can ever even utter the thought, God, I need your provision, I already know. God, I've got this diagnosis, I already know. God, I've struggled with this addiction, I already know. That's how well he knows you. Have you ever stopped and considered what it's like to be known by God? It's phenomenal. But then he also says that my own know me. And once again, it's much more than an intellectual awareness. It's an intimate relationship. My own know me. In verse 4 of chapter 10, he says, The sheep follow me, for they know his voice. Can I encourage you with this tonight? The more that we are in the presence of the shepherd, the better we know him. And there's one last thing I want to wrap it up with this that the good shepherd does, and that's he brings in other sheep. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, and so there will be one flock. And one shepherd, an act of his grace and his love, Jesus goes out and he seeks for more sheep to bring into his flock. In context, he's speaking to his people, which were the Jews, which was who Jesus came to. But they rejected him, and so guess what? The gospel went to who? The Gentiles, which is all of us sitting in this room tonight. So when Jesus said, I have sheep that are not of this fold, he was talking about everybody sitting in this room tonight. And you know what he said? Did you get what he said? I must go and get them and bring them in. What a great shepherd to go out and find other sheep that were in need of a savior that were in need of a shepherd and bring them in one flock one church one shepherd one lord over that church all together in the same fold Jesus is the good shepherd whether you want to debate it or deny it it doesn't matter he said I am and he is the good shepherd but the question for each of us is are you following him are you following him is he bringing you in has he brought you in if he's calling on your life tonight saying come in come into my fold don't ignore that pulling on your heart that he's bringing just accept it Thanks for listening to the message. We hope that you will continue to join us each week as we journey through Jesus' I Am statements. We're trusting that God is going to show us some mighty things about who He is through those two words. So be sure to meet us here again next week.